Hello, good morning. How's everybody today? Good. Wow, some of you, like three people are good today. All right, all right. Well, I've been away the last three Sundays in a row, and I just want to say I've missed my church family. I'm so glad to be worshiping here with all of you again, and um, well, one person's glad I'm back. Thank you. It's a tough crowd this second service. Man, I don't know what I got in store for me today, but we are in this Asking for a Friend sermon series, which we've been going through and tackling a bunch of questions that were sent to us. And the, the, the questions we're going to be looking at today deal with spiritual warfare. And we're actually looking at three different questions on this. The, the first two we're going to get through kind of quickly. And then the third one we're going to settle on and camp on for a few minutes. So let's start, let's start right now. The first question is, what is spiritual warfare? Let me offer you kind of a Cliff's Notes version of what is spiritual warfare. A ton is written about this in Scripture, and, and there's a lot of information on it. But I want to draw your attention to Ephesians chapter 6, and it's a, it's a, it's a well-known, oft-quoted passage of Scripture that talks about spiritual warfare. Paul writes in Ephesians 6, 10-13, he says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Put on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil." For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, having done all to stand firm. Paul goes on in this passage of Scripture to describe, using the analogy of armor, how we can put on all these different pieces to stand firm against the powers of darkness that are at work against us in our world, led by Satan. So we, we have this idea of what spiritual warfare is. It's a very real thing in our lives. It's something we face each and every day. It's something we will, we will come up against day after day after day after day. And what we get from this is this, this idea that it's just this classic battle between good and evil. Good being led by God, evil being led by Satan. It's, it's light versus darkness. And like I said, it's very real. It's very present in our lives. It involves the physical, but it transcends the physical. Paul uses language like cosmic powers and spiritual forces in the heavenly places. It's something that transcends our ability to fully comprehend, which points more and more to the reality that we need God to face spiritual warfare and deal with spiritual warfare and it's only through God that we can understand that spiritual warfare is a thing and deal with it. Satan would love it if we didn't believe that spiritual warfare was a thing. Because if we don't believe that, that means we don't put up a fight and Satan has his way. But that's not the case. So spiritual warfare, it's this, it's this battle being waged between good and evil, light and dark. Cliff's Notes version, okay. Second question, how should Christians respond to spiritual warfare? Scripture also has a lot to say about this, but I want to draw your attention to James chapter 1. I think this is, a, this is a powerful passage that really helps us understand how we are to respond as Christ followers to spiritual warfare. James 1, 2 through 4 says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Now, if you're in a season of life in which you uh, are, are doing well, the, the four people over here that are doing good, you know, um, you may be standing on that proverbial mountaintop and, and it seems like 
this, this passage of Scripture makes a whole lot of sense, right? Count it all joy when you face trials of every kind. Because when we're in that season of life, we can look back on a trial that we've overcome, and we look back on it in hindsight and say, yes, God was with me through that. I've learned from that, and God will be with me the next trial I face. I want to say, if you're in that group today, I want to say, keep your guard up. Keep your guard up, because when you're like that, it's so easy to let your guard down, and Satan's waiting for you to let your guard down. All right? Now, if you're here and you're feeling like weighed down by the attacks of the enemy, if you're struggling with sin or if you've fallen down or you just you feel like there's just so much darkness in your life, then this passage of Scripture sounds ridiculous. How can I experience joy in the midst of these trials? This is so hard. This is not fair. There's no way that joy can come to me in this time. I want to say to you, if that's where you are, don't give up hope. Don't give up hope. Because we have an ally in God who is already victorious. We sang songs about that this morning. God is already victorious over Satan. He's paved the way for our victories as well. And it's that awareness of of the battle being won by God that can equip us to experience joy in the midst of trials. Because we know that through that joy, which we will be victorious over if we have our faith in God, our faith will be strengthened, will grow in steadfastness, and will be made perfect and complete when Christ returns. All right, so that's, again, in a nutshell, what spiritual warfare is and how we should respond to that. The third question that we're going to spend most of our time on today is how do we stand firm in the midst of spiritual warfare? How do we stand firm in the midst of spiritual warfare? How do we face it? How do we not get blown over by it or knocked down by it? How do we stand firm? That's Paul's language in Ephesians 6, to stand firm against spiritual warfare. On the surface, the answer to this question is really simple. Jesus. That's how we stand firm in the face of spiritual warfare. Jesus. I can grab my notes. I can walk out of here. Ending there, because I've shared the truth with you. Jesus is the answer. But I want to dig into that a little bit because there's, there's just a lot that we can unpack there. And, 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 you know, Jesus is the answer. Remember what Paul said about spiritual warfare in, in Ephesians 6. He says it's the wrestling against the cosmic powers of this present darkness. Of this present darkness. Listen to how the Gospel of John describes the arrival of Jesus in John chapter 1, verses 1 through 5. It says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. And the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and get this, in Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Think about that for a second. Spiritual warfare is the battle against against this present darkness. But in Jesus Christ, we have this light that shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it, has never overcome it, will never overcome it, cannot possibly in any way fathomably overcome it. Does that make sense? Jesus is the light, and the darkness cannot conquer that light. So how do we stand firm in the midst of spiritual warfare? It's with Jesus Christ. It's through the light of Christ that we can stand firm in the midst of spiritual warfare. Here's the amazing thing about Jesus Christ. He came and he sets an example for us to follow. He came to to teach us about the kingdom of God and he came to teach us how to follow him and he came to teach us how to be citizens of heaven. And Jesus teaches us how to stand firm 
in the midst of spiritual warfare. But he doesn't just do it with a, you know, a sermon on the mountainside or, or teaching in the synagogue or, or through a conversation at a dinner table. All those things are valuable ways Jesus taught us. In fact, our next sermon series is all about Sermon on the Mount. But in this instance, Jesus actually teaches us through his very own experience, standing firm against spiritual warfare. Our main passage for today is, is found in Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 through 11. Uh, if you have your Bibles, we're going we're gonna to read this passage together, and uh, the words will be on screen. But before we do that, I want to advise you to bow our heads, close our eyes, and go to God in prayer before the reading of his word this morning. Let us pray. Almighty God, we thank you for your holy scriptures. We thank you that it's something that we can hold in our hands, God, and we thank you that there's power in it that we can tap into and learn from. And uh, Holy Spirit, descend upon this place and overwhelm us with your presence and give us eyes to hear, uh, eyes to see, ears to hear, an open heart and open mind to everything you have for us through the reading of your word today. I pray this in your name. Amen. Matthew 4, verses 1 through 11. Listen to this. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him up to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God... Throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command His angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus said to him, Again it is written, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Again the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, All these I will give you, if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, Be gone, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and were ministering to him. So this account of Jesus in the wilderness is recorded in both Matthew and Luke, and I chose the, the one from Matthew because simply because Matthew's the one that lists the temptations in a sequential order, and I thought it would be easier to talk about them in that order. So that's the only reason I picked that one. You can read this version in Luke, and it's, it's fairly similar. But it's important as we look at this encounter that Jesus has with Satan, as he faces this spiritual warfare, first it's, it's important for us to, to bear in mind the when and the how he got there. So first the when. Jesus had just been baptized, okay, and he had just received this public affirmation from God. His heavenly Father, you know, it says it's Jesus baptized and then uh, the Holy Spirit fell on him like a dove and then God said to him, this is my son with whom I am well pleased. Imagine, imagine that. If you were baptized, how'd you feel after your baptism? And then if you've ever gotten that affirmation like that from God, just imagine how Jesus must have felt. He's, he's at a spiritual high point in his life. And it's at this point that he gets out in the wilderness and is facing Satan. It's an important thing to be mindful of. Then the, then the, the how. Jesus is led into the wilderness by the Holy Spirit. Right? That is so important for us to remember, and it's going to come to light a little further into this teaching today. But Jesus is fully God, but he's also fully human. And just like Jesus the man, when we have put our faith in God, we receive the Holy Spirit. So the same Holy Spirit that led Jesus in the wilderness is the same Holy Spirit that dwells in us, those of us who have invited God into our hearts. All right? All right. That's out of the way. 
Now, Satan's ultimate goal here, I think, in this temptation of Jesus is to cause Jesus to doubt God. And that's what Satan wants to do to us. He wants us to doubt God because when we start doubting God, we start moving out of the light, we start being more attracted to this darkness, and the darkness will prevail when we step out of the light. As long as we're in the light, the darkness can't penetrate that. Remember that. The darkness cannot overcome Jesus' light. But when we start to doubt, we start to step into the shadows a little bit. And there is Satan ready, 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 ready to devour us. I think the root of spiritual warfare is choosing to trust God or not. That's it. It's choosing to trust God or not. It's choosing to trust Jesus or not. If we trust Jesus, we will stand firm and overcome. If we don't, Satan is going to have his way with us. And this is what we see happening here in the wilderness. We see Satan trying to lure Jesus away from God in three distinct ways. So what we're going to look at this, we're going to look at each of these temptations and what Satan tried to do, how Jesus overcame it, and how that applies to our life today. All right, you with me? All right, first temptation we see is that Satan is trying to get Jesus to doubt the love of God. He's trying to get Jesus to doubt the love of God. By the time Satan shows up, Jesus has been in the wilderness for 40 days, and it says for 40 days, for 40 nights, he had not eaten. All right? I don't know about you, but two hours after a meal, I'm starting to look at the, the clock saying, when's it time to eat again, right? If I miss a meal, I feel like I'm going to die. And here we have Jesus... 40 days, 40 nights without a meal, all right? Here we have Jesus. He's at his physically weakest when Satan shows up, all right? And Satan uses that physical weakness against him. He tries to use that against him. He says, Jesus, if you are the Son of God, then turn these rocks into bread. Satan is essentially saying, I think, if God really loved you, if you're the Son of God, then why is your Father letting you starve? Turn these rocks into bread. I think Satan is trying to say to him, surely God doesn't really love you. And he's saying, people who follow me won't starve. This is, this is the same ploy he pulled on Eve in the garden. He said, surely if, if God loves you, he wants you to eat from that fruit from the tree. Surely if God loves you, you won't surely die by eating of that fruit, right? He twists God's love around and he starts to cause this doubt of God's love, and he tries this with Jesus Christ. And I think this is where, in our current culture, Satan is just wreaking the most havoc right now. I think this is where he's prevailing most, 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 because we live in a world that teaches if it feels good and it makes you happy, then go ahead and do it. Who cares what it is? If it feels good and makes you happy, then go ahead and do it. And for believers, this leads to so much confusion. It leads to the belief that, if it makes me happy, then why wouldn't God want me to do it? And we start to use that belief to justify all sorts of harmful decisions and poor choices in our life. Here's the thing, and this may be hard to hear. Nowhere in Scripture does God promise happiness. It's nowhere in the Bible does God promise. In fact, what God promises is suffering. I can, let's end it now. How do you feel now? <laughs> I know that's hard to hear, but it's the truth. But in the midst of those promises, guess what else? Jesus said in John 10, 10, that I have come that you may have life and have it to the fullest extent possible. That's what God promises us, the fullest life possible. God also promises us peace and contentment and joy. 
So what God promises us is so much better, so much more valuable, so less circumstantial than the finicky thing known as happiness, right? And Jesus, he recognizes this. He recognizes this. See, at the time I said Jesus is fully God and fully human, and as as fully God, he had the power to do exactly what Satan said to do. Turn these rocks into bread. God had brought water forth from the stones when, when his people were thirsty in the wilderness. God had fed them with bread from heaven, called the manna from heaven when they were hungry. Jesus, after this, would go on to turn water into wine. He would feed thousands of people with a a loaf of bread and a few fish. Jesus certainly had the divine power to turn those rocks into bread. But he knew, Jesus knew, I think, that, that yes, eating bread in that moment would have been instant relief to his hunger. It would have felt good in the moment, but it would have led to separation from God, which is far worse and leads to far more eternal consequences and long-term harm. Satan loves, loves, loves to tempt us with instant gratification. He loves to pull us into the darkness with instant gratification. He loves to get us to doubt God's love by saying, why won't God instantly gratify you with something that will make you happy right now? So we see here, first Satan tries to get Jesus to doubt God's love for him. Jesus overcomes by knowing nothing's better than God's love. Second temptation. Satan tries to get Jesus to doubt the word of God. He tries to get Jesus to doubt the word of God. He takes Jesus to the top of the temple in Jerusalem and he says, go ahead and jump. Because why? Because God in his word promises to protect you. It's as if Jesus saying, or Satan saying, listen, God's word says this, and Satan gets crafty here because he's quoting scripture. He literally uses scripture here. Scripture says that God will never let you strike the ground and God will protect you. And Satan says, if you believe that to be true, if God's word is true, then why not go ahead and jump and let God's word be true? He'll protect you, right? This is is just craftiness on on his part. Here's the thing. Satan is quoting Psalm Psalm 91. And here's something that Satan likes to do. He, He took that scripture out of context. He just ripped it from the context and he said, this is what this one verse says, so it must mean all this stuff. So go ahead and do it based on that one verse, which must mean this stuff. If you take it all the way out of context, Jesus knew better. Why? Because he knew God's word. He knew the context of that past scripture. If you go read that full past scripture, what God is promising to do is protect those who are walking in step with him, who are obeying his will. So what God actually promises is if you do my will, if you walk in step with me, I will protect you as you go about that way. But if you deviate from that path, God's a gracious God. He's going to let us go and detour and let the chips fall where they may for us. I'm going to use some blunt language to drive this home, okay? God promises to protect us. God never promises to protect us when we're stupid. Okay? It would have been absolutely stupid for Jesus to jump off that temple. It would have been dumb. God never promises to protect us from our own stupidity. And Satan loves to, to, to use that against us, right? That just deviates us from God's will. God will protect us when we are walking in step with him, when we're living according to his will. That's where the promise is, not when we go away from him. God says, I love you enough to let you go, and I'll be waiting for you when you decide to come back. But while we're on our own, all right? 
Satan loves to take advantage of our stupidity and our hubris. And we see, we see Satan, he tries to get Jesus to doubt God's love for him. Then he tries to get Jesus to doubt the word of God. But Jesus knew that God's love was better. Jesus knew the truth of God's word. And so he was able to stand firm. And then third, we see Satan try to get Jesus to doubt the will of God. He tries to get Jesus to doubt the will of God. He goes from the top of the temple to the top of this high mountain where Jesus can look out on this landscape and he can see cities and walls and, and, and the glory and splendor of the Roman Empire is on display for Jesus to, to see. And Satan says, look at all that. If you bow down and worship me, all that's yours. If you bow down and worship me right now, I will give you wealth and prosperity and power and recognition. That's what Satan is trying to do here. Now, Oh man, Satan, now he's at his craftiest, right? He's at his craftiest because right now Jesus knows already, he knows that he's going to have to suffer and die before he enters into glory. In this moment, he's already starving half to death because he's gone 40 days without food and he's probably tired, exhausted, and, and he knows what's coming for him. He knows what lies in store for him. And it's in this moment that Satan says, let me offer you a shortcut. God's will is for you to experience uh, betrayal and arrest and, and uh, false witnesses and to be uh, mocked and humiliated and abandoned and beaten and tortured and to be rejected and despised by men. That's God's will for you. Satan says, I've got something better for you. Bow down and I'll let you have all the power and glory right now. Here's the thing. This is when Jesus gives his harshest rebuke of Satan yet. He says, Satan, get out of here. I know God's will is the best will. Following him is the best way, and nothing you say will change that. That's how, Satan, or that's how Jesus overcame that temptation. Oh, man, Satan does that to us so often, right? He tries to offer us shortcuts in life, and we love a shortcut. I love a shortcut. And it's especially effective against us when we're in the midst of suffering and trials because Satan will show up and say, God's leading you this way, but... If you follow me this way, I'll take you right out of that. It's a trick. All it's going to do is lead to more suffering and long-term uh, pain and, and hardship away from God. And that's what we see Satan try to do here. All right? We see Satan trying to get Jesus to doubt God's love for him. He tries to get Jesus to doubt God's word for him. And he tries to get Jesus to doubt God's will for him. That's Jesus standing firm, spiritual warfare. Now, here's the thing. I don't know about you, but sometimes I do this. I read something that Jesus does in Scripture, and I say, of course he did that. He's Jesus. I'm just a man. I can't do anything that Jesus did. He's the Son of God. He's fully God and everything like that. Here's the thing, though. All right? During this temptation, Jesus is fully God, fully human. He has fully embraced his humanity here. He does not use any of his divine power to stand firm against Satan. What Jesus does is anything, everything that we can do when we're facing spiritual warfare. The same power that Jesus uses to stand firm against Satan is the same power we have access to today. What is that power? What is that power? Well, first, it's the power of God's Spirit. It's the power of God's Holy Spirit. Remember that it was the Holy Spirit that led Jesus into the wilderness Jesus did not endure Satan's temptations alone. He had the power of the indwelling Holy Spirit with him. Guess what? So do we. 
That's one of God's promises. If we invite God into our heart, we then become temples of the living God. The Holy Spirit dwells in us. Listen to what Paul says about the Holy Spirit and the power of the Holy Spirit in Romans 8, 11. If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. The same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is the same Spirit that led Jesus into the wilderness, is the same Spirit that sustained Jesus through the attacks of Satan, is the same Spirit that dwells in us and can sustain us against spiritual warfare if we submit to the power and authority of this Holy Spirit. That's what Jesus did, and that's what we can do. Like Jesus, we can stand firm by the power of the Holy Spirit. God is literally with us wherever we go through whatever trials we face. Next, Jesus overcomes Satan. He stands firm by the power of the word of God. Jesus countered every one of Satan's ploys and tricks with Scripture. He, he countered everyone with Scripture. And even when Satan tried to get into that game too and said, oh, well, I know God's word too. Listen to this. Jesus countered even more. Why was he able to do that? Because he had, he had stored God's word in his heart and mind. Scripture describes Satan as, as, the, as a liar. He's a liar. He's the king of lies and deceit. And, and the only way that we can discern Satan's lies and we can parse through the lies of the world and get to the, lie, the truth of God is right here. God's word. This is not just a book with words on pages. This is truth. This is, this is sustenance for our soul. This is how we discern lies from the truth. Pastor Craig says it all the time, and I love this saying. He says, God will use the word we know, but he cannot use the word we don't know. It is so important for us to be in God's word, be intentional about learning from this, spending time in this, reading it, praying over it, studying it, and just devoting ourselves to this, just like Jesus did. Psalm 119.105 says, your, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Spiritual warfare is about overcoming darkness with light, and God's word is an invaluable source of light for us in the midst of darkness. So like Jesus, we can stand firm by the power of the Holy Spirit. We can stand firm by the power of the word of God. But then we have something even more. We can stand firm by the power of Jesus Christ's victory, of his victory. He endured this wilderness temptation so that he could go do three years of ministry and he could then die on the cross and conquer death. On the cross, Jesus conquered sin. In the grave, he conquered death. Why? To overcome the darkness. To bring heaven and earth together, to, to bridge the gap between God and humanity so that we can be in that light and we can overcome Satan and we can be in step with God. Jesus said in John 16, in this world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. We're going to face these, this spiritual warfare. We're going to face temptations from Satan. And guess what? We're going to lose the fight sometimes. We're going to lose the fight. But Jesus has won the war. We know the outcome already. The tomb is empty. The tomb is empty. We know the outcome already. We can overcome, we can stand firm by the power of the indwelling Holy Spirit, by the power of the Word of God, by the power of Jesus Christ's victory. And then listen to this passage of Scripture from Revelation 12, 10, and 11. This Revelation is about 
the end, right? It's about, it's about Jesus coming back. It's about this is the outcome. This is the battle being won right here, all right? Listen to Revelation 12, 10 through 11. And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of Christ have come. For the accuser, that's Satan, of our brothers has been thrown down, who accuses them day and night before God. And listen, they have conquered him by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony. By the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony. We can stand firm. The blood of the Lamb has won the battle, has made a way for us, and the word of our testimony, what God is doing in our lives, will just serve as a way to gird ourselves up, but also to encourage others. Stand firm, stand firm. God is good. God is capable. God is never wavering. God never fails. God loves us. Here's what God will do if you let God do what he says he will do. That's how we overcome. And it's my privilege this morning to invite someone very special up on stage. My son, Silas, he's going to share his testimony by the blood of the Lamb. and the word of our testimony, we will overcome. My son has had, a, has had a journey the past year, and he's going to share a little bit with you. He's lost some fights. He's lost some fights. And he's not done with the struggles yet, but you know what? He has seen God at work in his life, and he wants to make sure people know that God has been at work in his life. It's by the blood of the Lamb that my son is who he is today despite the things he struggled with. So he's going to come up here right now and share his testimony with us. I'm going to give the stage to him. All right, we're on. Okay, so obviously I'm Silas. Uh, Silas Taylor is my dad. Um, I'm 16, going to be a junior at Canandaigua Academy. Um, and a little background, I was born in Maryland, and we moved around a lot. It wasn't until fifth grade where I ended up here. And, you know, my dad getting hired at the church, my first family and friends were the church family and friends. Um, so, you know, those were the people that were pouring into my life at the beginning. Um, it wasn't, in, I got into middle school, and then, you know, that's when I started changing friend groups a lot, moving around from friend groups to friend groups. And that's when I had different influences pouring into my life. Uh, there were temptations in middle school, but I pushed them away. Um, it wasn't until about freshman year, and that's when I started getting into um, battles with depression and stuff like that. And uh, that was around the time when the whole vaping craze was going around. I'm sure you guys have heard of that. Um, so, you know, at first, especially me being a three-sport athlete, I thought nothing of it. I thought it was, you know, a stupid thing to do. Why would I waste my life on that, um, you know, instead of focusing on things that are more important to me? Until, you know, my close friends started doing it and, you know, those people that were pouring into my life who were doing that poured that into my life. And, uh, you know, that's when I started getting into that stuff and I fell into the temptations of that. Um, unfortunately, you know, I, I had gotten deeper and deeper into doing that type of stuff. It got to the point, you know, where I was sneaking out at night just to go meet with random people I didn't even know just to get the next thing I wanted. Um, and that introduced me, those people introduced me to marijuana and stuff like that and smoking with that stuff. Um, and I fell into the temptation of that and so I had just gone deeper and deeper down. With marijuana, I discovered that was a way for me to escape from the depression and all of that stuff. Um, so I had started using that as a way to just escape for a little bit and just, you know, be happy for the times that I could be happy while doing that. Um, and uh, so I had been doing that for a while. I eventually, you know, 
moved friend groups and you know they had introduced me to drinking and stuff like that and I kind of pushed the you know the vaping and the smoking away and gone to drinking which I found was an even better way to escape you know the depressions and stuff like that um, so I had now fallen down three steps um, and you know it was a uh, three very long steps that I needed to climb back up to get to where I am today I made a bold choice. This was my sophomore year back in October. I made a super bold choice to um, host a party at my house. Um, and that's when I, you know, my friend groups were all people who were doing that kind of stuff. I invited those people over and we were all, you know, into that stuff. And we did it at my house. Um, stupid idea, but we did it. I thought I got away with everything. And then my dad so generously came down and helped me clean up. And that's when, uh, you know, we were moving a couch back and he had found a bag with all my stuff in it and he opened it and saw what was inside. And at that moment I thought, well, my life is over now. Um, so, you know, I, I thought, you know, at the rage, uh, you know, filled me up and I was so angry. I didn't want to do anything with anyone. I didn't want to speak. I couldn't even get words out. I know my dad said a few words to me. I don't really remember what he said, but you know, he said those words and then he took care of some trash, brought, went upstairs to my mom. Um, and I thought, honestly, like that night was just gonna blow over. I thought for the night I was done and I just needed to calm down and you know have my own time. I was wrong. Uh, they called me up to their room and they started talking to me and I couldn't even get words out. I was still so angry. Um, and so they were talking to me for a bit. I didn't say anything back, but eventually, you know, I started saying some, some things. I opted out of telling them about the depression and stuff like that as to why I was still doing the stuff that I was doing until um, my dad took my phone and was going through some texts and saw, you know, conversations that I was having with my girlfriend at the time and my friend about, you know, the depression and how I was dealing with that. And uh, that kind of, you know, had a mood switch in the night. Um, conversations changed a little bit. And uh, they were very nice and generous with the way that they handled things. At the time, I didn't think so, but now looking back on it, I know that they were. <laughs> um, so I thank them for that. Um, they let me have my phone still because they knew. At, at the time, it was just me and my girlfriend. Like, I was only really talking to her, and she was the only person I was really talking about my life to. So, um, you know, they let me have my phone. They let me still hang out with her every so often. And that was, you know, a very nice thing to let me do. Um, as, you know, I got caught and I thought I was never going to do anything again. Um, unfortunately, you know, uh, about two months after I had gone back into it a little bit, um, I was going back into vaping for about like a week or two. And, uh, you know, I, I somewhat stopped and then I started getting into a couple of fights with my girlfriend. And I thought to myself, well, if, if we break up, I'm going to go into an even deeper place in my life. Because at that time, she was the only person that I was really talking to. So, you know, um, we ended up breaking up and I thought, you know, I'm, I'm, everything's, you know, done. But um, fortunately, that's not what happened. We broke up and I had a big mental change. Um, you know, I started thinking more about sports. Um, I love baseball, baseball is my main sport. So I started practicing that every day, um, focused on that more. Um, and I felt a lot better about myself. Baseball season rolled around and uh, that's when, you know, my friend group kind of became my baseball team and they were all into that stuff. Um, and we had an end of the season party, and at that party, there was drinking. And at first, I, you know, I, I didn't want to get back into it, but unfortunately, you know, with everyone around me doing it, I just was like, ah, it's summer, I'll just do it one time. And so again, I fell back into the temptations of that stuff again. And at this point, it's like, Silas, what are you doing, you know? But, um, you know, I, we were just trying stuff out that night, and I brought some trash home, 
And I thought to myself, I mean, there's no way my parents are going to search through the trash, right? Um, unfortunately, I was wrong again. Um, I had a few friends over, and we were hanging out in the garage, and we had just trashed it. We weren't even doing anything like that. We were just, I don't know, as 14 age guys, what else were we going to do? We trashed the garage, and they were like, they came to me the next morning after they found stuff, and they were like, the only reason we searched the trash is because it looked like you had a party down there. And I was like, well, dang it. <laughs> um, so they, they found that stuff, and um, at that moment, that's when I seriously realized that I was done with this stuff for good. And uh, excuse me, I'll take a drink of water. Um, uh, you know, I got caught with that stuff, and I thought, I'm, I'm seriously done now. Like, I, I, I'm not going back into this. Uh, this was around uh, middle of June, and uh, I, I moved away from the baseball team as a, as a friend group. We still had baseball all throughout the summer, so I still was with them, you know, constantly, but I kind of, like, this is when I started migrating into the church friend group, which I have over there, which is very, uh, a good friend group to have, you know? Um, so NCS rolls around. I'm sure everyone's heard about that. And uh, I'm going to mention my best friend Alex over there. Uh, I had been getting him to come to church. Um, I've never really had a, a best friend that I've been with a lot at, like, a church best friend, you know? Um, but it was nice having a best friend that goes to church with you every Sunday. And then he came to camp with me, and we grew closer, and, and we both grew closer with the church friend group. And that was super powerful because for the first time, you know, I, I had a friend that was where he needed to be and where I needed to be. And, you know, having those people pouring into my life is a lot different than having the people that were pouring in my life before. So, um, you know, NCS came around and Wendy asked me if I would share my past NCS experiences and a little bit of my testimony at youth group. And so I remember that night, I, I was happy to do it. I went up on stage and I did that. I remember I had stuff prepared on my phone and I got up on stage and I just set my phone down and, and I felt God speaking through me and uh, that was a really powerful night. Uh, soon after that, my dad had brought up the, he mentioned, you know, he was preaching this Sunday and had asked me if I maybe wanted to come up on stage and share my testimony in front of everyone here. And at first I was like, no, no way, you know, that's a big step. I'm still young. Um, it's, it's a scary thing to do. I mean, you guys are all adults. I'm 16, you know? Um, so um, at first I was super nervous about it. I, I wasn't sure if I was going to do it. Um, and it wasn't until um, well, I, I had figured, you know, if I was going to come up here and share my testimony, I might as well start sharing it to certain people that were pouring into my life. So Ryan Samuels, I mentioned him. I shared my testimony with him, and, and he was more than loving and, and so kind and open to what I had to say. And he just listened, and then after, you know, he, he prayed with me, and he just said that he was happy to hear that I've overcome what I've done. And, uh, you know, I felt really good after getting that off my shoulders and telling someone about it, and it, it not being a negative, you know, conversation. Um, so I felt good about that. I, was, I still wasn't sure if I was going to come up here and share my testimony with everyone. But then uh, last weekend, at, uh, we went to a camp called the Turno. I um, had a conversation with Wendy. I asked her if we could talk, and she said, yeah. And I brought up, you know, I, I started sharing my testimony with her. I brought up the fact that I was maybe going to come up here and, and share this with everyone and how I was nervous about it and scared. But I shared everything with her. And this conversation was probably one of the most meaningful conversations I've had in my entire life. Um, you know, nobody has ever been so happy to hear um, of something that I've done so bad in the past and come back from it. And it just was, I could not stop smiling that entire night. It just meant so much to me. Um, 
we prayed and then we hugged and it was just a, a great experience. And at that moment, I knew I was 100% wanting to come up here and share my testimony with everyone. I called my dad as soon as we were done with the conversation. And I was like, dad, I, I wanna come up here and share my testimony for sure. Uh, that was a good night for me. Um, I was just happy the rest of the night. And that was just last weekend. So I still wasn't even, you know, uh, I just took this week to prepare everything. Um, you know, staying in, you know, God's word throughout the week, praying about it, felt really good. It feels good to have people, you know, physical people that you can trust and, and share your life with, but also knowing, you know, that God's there and he knows your life and you can still share it with him and it being just as powerful, you know. So, you know, it's a great thing to have God there to be, you know, your person that you can lean on and depend on. And it's just as powerful to have these people here on earth that you can lean on and depend on. And um, again, I just want to thank everyone for letting me come up here and, and say, my, say my part. You know, a um, couple things stood out to me with what he shared. You know, he kept talking about influences and influences and influences. And, and he recognizes now that he, had, he allowed some bad influences in his life and, and they swayed him and everything like that. And it's just a reminder to us that we have, are bombarded by influences each and every day. The world throws so much at us. Satan throws so much at us. We need to be intentional about making sure that God is the loudest in, uh, influence in our lives. And sometimes that's hard because a lot of noise can drown out God, right? Another thing stood out to me about his testimony he shared about depression and keeping that to himself. Let me tell you, Satan loves a secret. Satan loves a secret. He will take secrets and use them against us in just horrific ways. And I wanted to, I gave my son the opportunity to come up here and share, you know, I didn't pressure him or anything like that. I just thought it would be good for the church to see a young person, 16 years old. He's, he's got a long road of struggles ahead of him still, you know. He's not perfect or anything, but, but it was through that struggle and everything like that that he, he's come to recognize the power of God in his life. And, and just to, to, you did, to see him, where is he? His countenance has changed. We don't use that word very much, countenance. His, his demeanor has changed, his attitude changed, the way he speaks has changed, and that's only, only, only because of God at work in his life. He shared about that Halloween party that we let him, we let him have, and it wasn't a, like a rage or anything. Come on. We had like four or five friends over, and they hung out in the basement, right? But I wasn't being generous in offering to help clean up. I had suspicions that they had gotten into things they weren't supposed to get into, and I didn't want him to know that I had those suspicions. So I'm like, hey, let me help you clean up, and I started nosing around. And my worst fear came true. They were into things they shouldn't have been into. And you know, he, he highlighted how kind of gracious we were and, and how he didn't get in as much trouble as he thought. You know, you, you hear people say stuff like, God spoke to me, God spoke to me. You know, in that moment, inside, I was raging. I was so angry. I was heartbroken. I was devastated. I was mad. I was disappointed. But I just felt loud and clear the Holy Spirit saying, stop and pray. Stop and pray. So as quickly as I could, I excused myself from the basement. And I went up to my bedroom and I got on my knees and I prayed for my son. And then my wife found out about it. She'd already gone to bed that night. So it wasn't until the next morning that I told her about what happened. And her and I spent so much time praying for our kids. And I started doing, uh, drinking and doing drugs uh, when I was younger than my son. I was 14 when I started. 
And my son is so much like me. It makes me so proud, but it scares the daylights out of me. I'm so afraid he's going to go down the paths that I went down. But God is reminding me of the difference between me and him at his age. I didn't have Christ in my life when I was 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19. I didn't have Jesus Christ. I didn't have the Holy Spirit in me. And so my wife and I, we prayed, God, you are in our son. We're not going to change him. We can't. We can lock him in his room if we want to. My son has peed in so many cups. I've tested his urine so many times. If you think your kids are doing drugs, Amazon sells a drug test for everything. I encourage you to get them. All right? But I knew it wasn't us. It wasn't us that was going to change him. It was going to be God. And it took months and months of prayer. But God he's done in my son's life. If you're a parent and you're struggling with the kid, pray, pray, pray. It's going to be God that gets through to them. If you're a young person, you're struggling. Jesus is the answer. Your friends are not the answer. An influencer on TikTok or, or, or Instagram is not the answer. Drugs are not the answer. Alcohol is not the answer. Nothing is the answer except God, except Jesus Christ. And that's true whether you're 16 or a grandparent. Jesus that's how we overcome, by the blood of our, the lamb and the word of our testimony. And if you're here and you've not invited Jesus Christ in your heart, if you've not accepted God into your lives, don't wait another minute. Don't go through the darkness by yourself another minute. Don't try and overcome life on your own another minute. Just say yes to Jesus. It's all you have to do. In a moment, we're going to pray. And right there where you're sitting, you don't do anything special. Just in your heart, just, just pray, God, I say yes to you. I want you in my life. I want to give my life to you and then let us know so that we can go on this journey with you, all right? For all the rest of us who are already on this journey, we're going to lose the fight. Sometimes we'll lose the fight, but God has won the ultimate victory. And the light of Christ cannot be overcome by the darkness. Find your hope and peace and joy in that. Let's pray. Oh God, thank you for your mighty power for your presence in our lives, for your uh, efforts, God, that you've gone through to, to have a relationship with us, Lord. You've moved heaven and earth. You sent your son to die. You've conquered death in the grave on our behalf so that we can connect with you in authentic relationship. I thank you for your victories, God. I thank you for the ways you have poured out your mercy and grace upon us and help us overcome. And I pray for anyone in this room or watching online or who watched this week that doesn't know you, Lord, I pray that this moment we be the moment of their salvation where they take a chance on you, God, and I know that they will not regret it. Just say yes to Jesus right now. And for those of us already journeying with you, God, protect us from the attacks of the evil one. Lord, I rebuke Satan in the name of Jesus Christ from, from our, our hearts, our minds, our homes, Lord. Be with our, our middle schoolers and high schoolers who are faced with so many negative influences, God. Be with those of us who are raising kids, God, as we deal with all the challenges that come with that. Be with grandparents, be with friends, be with aunts, uncles, whoever. God, we all have people that we're praying for. We all have struggles that we're dealing with. You, Lord, are the answer to every single one of them. We love you. We surrender ourselves to you. We pray this in your name.